Welcome to Rising Tide, a podcast for career-driven women to find inspiration, find courage, and find their voice. In 2022, women of color received a mere 0.8% of venture capital funding. Today's guest is one of those 0.8%. I was so naive in the beginning, Margaret. I saw people, all these headlines, oh, this guy raised this many millions, and, and I didn't know anything about, oh, okay, wait a minute, I'm a black woman. trying to That didn't cross my mind, like, oh, man, I'm going to kill it. I got all this experience, 20 nice. years in retail tech. Oh, man, I'm going to raise $20 million. So I went out like, oh, man, everybody's going to give me money. Just wait till I get this pitch right. Yes. Nobody gives me any money. <laughs> And I really got to the point where I was like, you know what? Nobody's going to give me money. How did I think I could raise this money? And I was really at the point where I was dumb pitching. Meet Barbara Jones Brown, founder of Freeing Returns, who raised $3 million in 2022 and is backed by some of the best investors, including Serena Williams, VC fund, Serena Ventures. Barbara has never been a stranger to defying the odds. As a graduate of the University of Texas in 1998, she was one of just four Black computer science graduates. She would go on to be the lead technical developer at 360 Commerce, where she would write the code that would later be acquired by Oracle and would serve as the launch of Oracle's retail division. Bit by the entrepreneurial bug, Barbara would launch a successful consulting business that over the years would grow and be a place where she could create job opportunities for marginalized groups. But deep down, Barbara knew she wanted to build a product. It wasn't until 2020 when a global pandemic went from nearly destroying her successful business to becoming the force change that would accelerate the launch of Freeing Returns. This is a powerful conversation in which Barbara shares her remarkable journey. She shares how she approaches building high-performing teams and her wisdom on learning the importance of when to listen to advice and when to ignore. Can't wait for you to meet this amazing woman. Enjoy. Welcome to Rising Tide, Barbara. Hello, Margaret. So happy to be here. I'm so excited and grateful that we have been connected. And we were just chatting before we hopped on and I... I'm literally kind of shaking in my chair in anticipation for this conversation. Yes, me too. The excitement is there. It's long overdue, but we have our time today and I'm so happy to talk to you. I think it would maybe be a good jumping off point sometimes to like set the stage. We're going to get into your backstory, but maybe giving people a glimpse of, tell us about present day, Barbara. What are you doing these days? (laughs) I'm just living the life. I'm living my dream. You know, people always say, I want to, you know, do my dream. I live my dream every day. Mm -hmm. And I'm building a company that really is on this huge mission to empower retailers and allow them to just take back their profitability. We hear about so much in the news, especially the last few months have been Mm -hmm. almost every day. Some retailer is talking about just being under attack through smash and grabs in their store to online fraud. And it's just millions and almost trillions of dollars being lost in the retail industry. And our technology powered by AI is giving retailers insights into, you know, how to stop those losses. I'm at a Salesforce tower here in Atlanta today. And the whole, we're at a conference that's really security people, loss prevention, asset protection. All of us are sitting here talking about how can we stop some of this loss that's happening? 
And so I'm just excited that we get to work every day on this problem and really empower these retailers to get their profitability back. Oh my gosh, that is so amazing. This is actually your second company. Have you always had an entrepreneurial streak? Was building a company something that you kind of had as a vision for yourself for a long time? Or when did that come to be for you? Always, Margaret. And it's mm. actually my third company. This is my third <gasps> Oh my goodness. <laughs> this is number three. Wow. Okay. I got bit by the entrepreneur bug in my early, early, really like fresh out of college. Mm, yeah. I went to work for a startup and this was, you know, dating myself. So this was back in 2000 uh, when I graduated from college and I went to work for a startup in 2000. So it's nothing like today where the cool thing is to go work for startups back then. It's like startup. My family was like, what? You just graduated from University of Texas at Austin with a computer science degree. You got all these companies <laughs> trying to recruit you. You're going to work for a startup? My mother couldn't believe it. And I was like, man, I want to work for a startup because I want to see what it's like to really build a company from, you know, I was employee number 25. I'm like, I want to help how we can build this. And by the time we, four years later, we were being acquired by Oracle and we had 200 people in the company and I was at the forefront of watching that company grow from 25 people to 200 and get acquired by Oracle. And that's why I joined mm. the startup because I wanted to see that because I was bit by the entrepreneurial bug early and I wanted to see how they did it so that I could do it <laughs> one day and, and build my company the same way. And so, yes, I have always, or since fresh out of college, always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Well, since we're talking about college, let's go back a little bit here. We'll come back <laughs> and talk more about the company. But I, since since you led yeah. us there, I'm gonna let's let's go back. You graduated with a computer science degree. This was definitely not a degree that many women <laughs> have, especially women of color. How did this yes. even come to be something that you were interested in? Oh my God! So I was. I remember being in high school, and I was a math and science geek. You know, I was. I was like the nerd girl in high school, but loved math and science. And so uh, I ended mm -hmm. up taking a computer programming class mm -hmm. and fell in love. I was like, Oh man, this is what I want to do. Now this is, you know, I'm dating myself again. This is in the '80s. <laughs> but yeah, so I took a computer programming class in high school. Fell in love with it. And I was like, you know what? I had been on track to be an electrical engineer. That's what I told my family. I'm going to engineering school. I took that computer programming class in my senior year. And I was like, oh, man, I want to be a computer scientist. That's what I want to be. So I told my mother, she was like, computer scientist? Like, what is that? This is all early. Nobody's like, it's not like today. That was risky. Engineering was the safe bet. Yeah. So my family was so nervous. They're like, no, stick with engineering. So I went to school, uh, University of Texas at Austin, got into the electrical engineering school, took my electrical engineering classes. I was like, Ugh, you know, I just didn't like it. So I said, let me just try one more computer programming class <laughs> and took a, a computer programming class in the computer science department. And I was like, you know what? I don't care. I'm changing my major. Switched over to computer science, never looked back. And that's how it all got started. But I just like programming computers, being able to just take an idea, create something from nothing and watch it run, watch people use it. I love that. Just that aspect of creating uh, software. You know, that's how I got into it. It was just one programming class in high school. 
isn't it just so incredible the power of exposure and realizing that while you had you know, were good at math and science and then getting exposed to computer science and that just unlocking uh, a whole world for you it did it did it opened up a whole world for me and i fell in love with it and just let's just that like i said that power of being able to create something mm. out of my mind and see it in real life people using it so i love yeah. that and then you told us like you you go to you know you were the founding technical developer is that right at 360 yeah. this was the the startup that yeah. you went to that went from 25 yeah, 360 commerce oh mm-hmm. my god very famous very famous in Austin I think it's like it was one of the first really big acquisitions Oracle retail Oracle didn't even have a retail vertical at that point when they bought 360 commerce that started the Oracle retail vertical kicked it off mm. and our point of sale system was the first thing they started selling out of that vertical and now it's all over the world many different countries retailers are, are still using that same system we created way back in 2000 and so oracle ended up opening their Oracle retail office in austin texas and so it's a famous startup acquisition in in austin people have heard about 360 commerce and that was my first venture into this world of entrepreneurship oh my gosh that's amazing so what we're realizing now is that you've been in retail for a long, I mean, like that, no wonder you've built a company, but yeah. you've been in this for a long time. Yes. Yes. Rich. Expert. A, I feel like I'm a subject matter expert and people, you know, see me as that way. I've been in retail over 20 years. I have code uh, that software that I've actually written running in over 4,000 stores throughout the U S Canada and Japan. And so um, this is just a space that I'm very passionate about, but I've been in my entire adult career. And even as a child from high school through college, I was a cashier. And so I've always been in retail to everybody since my adult years. I've always been in retail. So I'm very passionate about this industry. So you're in this startup. It has a successful exit. What happens next? (laughs) So, of course, you know, I'm not taking the traditional route. It's just not me. So, you know, I never <laughs> I never went to work for Oracle after the acquisition. Once they acquired the company, I decided to, you know, start a one-woman consulting firm, you know. And so I, my first customer was Home Depot. Just imagine that. So, <laughs> so I, I, I got to uh, know, how did you land Home Depot? Oh, well, Home Depot was really, that's one of the reasons we got acquired at 360 Commerce is Home Depot was one of our early, early adopters. And I was, you know, working on that project. I was flying back and forth between Austin and Atlanta, working with the Home Depot team here in Atlanta to get the software into the stores. And so I had been working with them very closely. And at the acquisition, Home Depot, they had one of their recruiters reach out and say, Barbara, would you consider consulting? They heard about the acquisition and they were like, you know what, we we just want to use the software. We don't know about the acquisition and all that, but would you still be willing to work as a consultant? And I was like, oh man, let's kick it off. So I kicked off. (laughs) You knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. That's why I took that job. And so I was like, wow, my first client, Home Depot, I kicked it off. And had a one-woman consulting firm at that point and, and have grown from there. But that's how it all started, how yeah. I got out on my own and became an entrepreneur. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love that. Okay, so one of the things that we talked about in you mentioned one woman to start, huge yes. logo to begin with. And I mean, yeah. just kind of yeah. going on the list, like you, you know, you did consulting for IBM and Circuit City, like you've yes. got several big brands here. And then yeah. one of the things that I thought was really beautiful is that you talked about that you wanted to, your passion was getting more women in the IT space and that this business was a way to do it. So tell me about this vision that you have. So you kind of, I don't want to say fell backwards into, but opportunistically took this consulting route. (laughs) When did it start to become this vision of getting more women into the IT space? Yeah. So it started out with me and, you know, I was, you know, I really got to the point where I was really just honestly, Margaret, I was making so much money just by myself. And I'm like, wow, look at imagine if there were 10 of me. That's how it all starts. Like mm. I'm making so much money. It's just one of me. And I'm working like 60 to 80 hours. I can only take on so many projects by myself. And so I'm like, man, what if it was 10 of me? This would be a multi-million dollar company. And that's yeah. how it started. And so, you know, my whole career, even through college, I graduated from the University of Texas at Austin. It was only four. Black people that graduated from the computer science program when I did, that was 1998. And so I already noticed that it wasn't many people like me in the computer science field. Then as I started working for 360 Commerce and working for Home Depot and all these different retailers, I also noticed it wasn't, you know, I was the only really Black female coder or developer, software developer in my startup. So that's the only one. And so I just, you know, I saw that. And so when I decided, you know, what if there were 10 of me? What if I could train, you know, women and minorities in this Mm -hmm. field? That would be great. And so I started, you know, came outside of just this one woman consulting firm. I created Lily R&B and Lily stands for Let's Imagine Life with Ladies in IT. It's an acronym, L-I-L-L-I-I. So people always ask me, like, why do you spell it like that? It's an acronym, Let's Imagine Life with Ladies in IT. So I started my company and I started hiring and training fresh out of college women and minorities to work in this retail point of sale industry and really built this agency from just me at first to, you know, consultants that I had trained, built a whole training portal, but I was able to train people and hire them out as a consultant for the company. And that's how it, that's how it all started. Wow. Oh my gosh. In my mind, I'm thinking, how are you supporting yourself not like financially (laughs) like support yourself because like this is brilliant it's beautiful but it's also a lot of work so now I mean like going from a a team of one where you know it's all intuitive you don't have and then try to build a training program to teach others your system and your and build confidence that they can go represent you to your clients talk me through that process of how you went from like idea to actually being mm-hmm. able to train women to that now go and represent your business. I had done the consulting by myself mm-hmm. for about four years. Yeah. So I really had saved a lot of money because I could basically, you know, a client would say, Barbara, can you come help us, you know, implement this new Oracle system, which was really our old POS system that Oracle acquired. They were like, how much do you want? You know, what's your rate? Like, wow, they're asking me like, and I would throw numbers out just to see if they would bite. And they were like, okay. So I'm like, oh my God, let me try a bigger number. So I had, right, to, yes. I had to, let me try a bigger number next time they're biting. So I had to amass some, you know, some nice money set aside. So when I kicked yeah. off this company, it was self-funded, bootstrap. I had money set aside. 
So I was able to build the training portal myself in-house. I was able to pay the, you know, like five people at first. I was able to pay all of them a salary while they were training. And wow. then I tested them, make sure that our learning, we use the LMS system, so a learning management system. So I would test them, make sure they had coding assignments. So we did all of this work before. I didn't want the reputation of the company to be damaged. So I didn't want to put them out too early before they right. <laughs> I could make sure they were going to represent me well. But by the time they got through the training portal, I knew that they could do it. And so then I would let them out once they passed all their tests and really kind of certified them in this technology. Then I would put them out. So it was all self-funded from that consulting work I had done for the you know the first four years, saved that money up and then launched the company, bootstrapped it and started hiring out my little mini-me's is what I call them, the mini-me's to my clients that I had been working with from 360 Commerce Days and from my four years of consulting. And so, yeah, they were really great. I still have the first person I ever hired, still works for me today, 10 years later. Employee number one is still with the company. So, so he's been wow. with me from day one. Yes. That's amazing. Now, how did you find them? So you had five people in this first cohort. Yeah. How, did, like, how did you pick them? I was uh, mentoring some students through a technical college here in Atlanta, Gwinnett Technical College. Mm. And I've become really good friends with one of the professors there. And he, you know, allowed me to come in and cherry pick his top students out of this technical college. And so the top two people that I hired were graduating that year from the technical college. And so I basically took them just like I was when I started with 360 Commerce, fresh out of college and brainwashed them to, <laughs> into the world of retail POS. That's all they knew. And I was training them. And so they were like little ducklings following me around, you know, Barbara, what do I do next? So that's how <laughs> I started. And so I got all my first five people came out of Gwinnett Technical College. We even right. did a scholarship through the college. We gave scholarship money to some of the ladies there. And so it started there. And then once we, you know, I started building the company, I went to Georgia Tech, to Spelman, to Morehouse, and just really brought in those fresh out of college students from the local universities and colleges right here in Georgia. So it's, it's really been like, because once I got the, the first contract with Home Depot, I moved from Austin, Texas to Atlanta. That's sure. where I still am today to be close to Home Depot, the headquarters. And so by the time I started building Lilly, we were an Atlanta-based company. and just really grew up in the Atlanta ecosystem, homegrown, you know, growing this thing from scratch. There's so many universities here in just yeah. Atlanta to to pick from that are like oh, just yeah. incredible talent. So that makes yeah, that makes so much sense. I okay. Yeah. Fresh out of college, smart, smart, top of the class people. That's who I was recruiting. And yep. they love, you know, they can go work anywhere. Like everybody was trying to get these students, but they liked me because I was also technical. So they're mm -hmm. they're brand new coming into technology. So they haven't written any professional code yet. And now the person they're working for is a professional coder who can really show them how to write code. And so that's how I got a lot of them because I was also technical and they knew, wow, she could mentor me as I'm learning technology. And that was the how I would sell them is I'm, I'm you know, you'll be working directly with me. You're going to get hands-on coding. Here's our clients like Home Depot. These are some of the biggest retailers in the world. And you're going to be able to write software you can walk into one of their stores and say, I wrote that. That's my code running. Mm -hmm. And so they loved it. And I was able to recruit that way. 
I think something that is important to call out here is what a brilliant sales and marketing mind you have, because I'm listening to you and what I'm hearing you say, and I'm going to, in case anyone missed it, is that you did a phenomenal job of, you were competing against top brands that maybe, you know, right? Like these were the best of the best and you were going head to head with them, but you knew how to tailor your message that would resonate with these students. And you're foreshadowing, Margaret, because, you know, I, as a computer scientist, the whole reason I really loved that programming class when I first took it in high school is because I was very shy introvert. Mm. And I imagine my life had been, I could sit in a corner and not talk to anyone. (laughs) And all day I would be coding and, you know, interact with humans. And I was like, oh man, my life's going to be great because I was such a shy introvert back (laughs) in high school. Fast forward to today where I'm like, wow, I'm actually a wonderful saleswoman. It's like, you know, I, I'm not that little shy girl that wants to sit in the corner. I'm out talking to people. I'm selling my company. Same way I've done with those first early people that I sold to come work for me. So I kind of, you know, my life changed really from that introverted little girl. She's probably still in there, but becoming this woman who could actually sell and grow this company. So that's, that's you know, we'll talk about that later, but. You're right. That's how it all kind of changes, being able to sell these students to come to work for me versus some of these big companies that were trying to recruit them as well. Right. It's amazing. And I mean, I think it's such a testament to who you are and the way that you presented and the value that you brought in those relationships. I mean, the fact that you've had somebody stay with you through this entire time. I mean, it just, it says so much about who you are as a person and a leader. I love that. You know, as, as you started to grow out this team and you started to be able to build and scale your business, Was there a shift where you moved away from doing the work and the consulting and went into fully just kind of managing the business? Yeah, and it was a hardship for me because, you know, the early days I was the top consultant and a lot of the projects, you know, they were like, yeah, Barbara, we know you can do it, but your people are all new. So I would say, look, just hire the team. You know, I'll come in, I'll lead all my people. You guys only have to pay for me and maybe one other. We'll throw in the other two for free. That way, I just wanted my team, my students to get hands-on training. So a lot of those early days, I was the lead consultant. So I not only was training them, not only running the company, this one woman still at the top, but I was coding. You know, I was the main consultant. I'm working on projects early on. And so finally, you know, I brought in an outside CFO, chief financial officer, and he was basically saying, you know, Barbara, you have got to focus on sales. You know, somebody in a company has to be the salesperson. I'm like, not me. I'm an introvert. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going out and selling. Like, you know, so I talked to my team and I was like, who can be the salesperson? And they're all young, like me, technology. They're like, we're not selling. It's going to have to be you. So I had to really, you know, come out of the coding, come out of the consulting. My mm-hmm. number one guy was now well experienced where he can kind of lead the the rest of them. And so I had to give up my coding, you know, which I love, love so much, but I had to become the salesperson, you know, for the company because we had to keep going. We had to get more clients. And so I had to be the one to start selling. And that's how it, it really changed. And really, honestly, Margaret, I haven't written code now, probably in the last three to four years, not one line, which I can't even imagine I'm saying it because, you know, I love coding so much, but I've been running the company for the last three to four years. I haven't written one line of code. 
So I can't even believe it, but man, it's been three to four years that I've been nothing focused on sales and marketing and, and raising capital. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I think for anyone, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're, you know, an individual contributor that moves into a management role, that transition from executor, doer, the go-to person, you know, the people they came to work with you because of your expertise and now shifting into this different role where you're kind of stepping away from that, like paint a picture for us of this transition. Like, were there things that you did to help, like, I think help support yourself through it? How did, how did did you have the stamina? It was kicking and screaming. So I was like, somebody's got to sell. I'm like, I'll try to get some of them to do it. They're like, no, we're, we're too shy. We're not selling. So I was like kicking and screaming. And my CFO was like, Barbara, you know, we have to sell. We need more clients. We have uh, employees we have to pay. And our projects are ending. Somebody's got to sell. It's going to have to be you. And she's like, oh. oh, no, it can't be me. I tried to hire salespeople. And at the end of the day, nobody can sell, especially an early company like the founder, right? It's our yeah. passion. It's our dream. It's our baby. So those first sales really have to be ours. And so I had to, you know, kick it and scream and have to really just start learning how to sell. So I started getting involved with uh, TAG, you know, one of the groups yep. here, Technology Association of Georgia, um, started taking classes at the ATDC and just really just learning, you know, getting mentors to come on and help me like learn how to sell because I didn't know how to sell. And I'm a coder, right? I'm a technologist. And so I had to learn how to sell. I really just started working on, myself with sales skills, leadership skills, because my team was growing at the learn how to lead. And so it was uh, just a bunch of help from programs here in Atlanta and mentors to kind of help me transition from the top consultant to the CEO. And one of the programs I took was called Launchpad 2X, Bernie Dixon. I think she's retired now, but Bernie had a passion of making sure that women CEOs remain the CEO as their company started to grow, or even as they were acquired, they would be able to run those companies as the CEO and not get replaced. That was her mission. And so I went through the Launchpad 2X program, trained with Bernie, and really learned that expertise to move from top consultant to CEO of the company. And really, Bernie helped with a lot of that transition. I want to definitely mention her name, but it was kicking and screaming, Margaret, but I did it. I was able to transition myself probably over two years, just getting to the point where I was still kind of cons- uh, consulting 50% of the time, still coding to fully, you know, no more code. And now that I'm the face of the company, the CEO. Yeah. I appreciate you giving a timestamp on that and kind of elaborating on it. Cause I, again, I think so often we can look at a journey like yours and we can look at where you are today and there's a, mm-hmm. We have a bad habit to oversimplify what went into enabling the success that we see. And so, you know, going through a big transition like this, and I think what I hear you describing is surrounding yourself with people who had the expertise that could help support you through the transition. I think what Bernie was doing was so advanced for the time and so valuable and needed because unfortunately, more often than not, that can happen where women are replaced in their own companies by any of her ladies through Launchpad 2X. She wanted to make sure that none of us, as our companies grew or we got acquired, we would not be replaced. And that was a mission of hers. And I love her for doing that. Yeah. What's interesting too, is as you're talking about it, I'm thinking with my sales leader hat on of going from very inbound type business 
to yeah. then having to go outbound. Yeah. They're both sales, but they're very yeah. different. And very so I think that's another wrinkle that you kind of glossed over, which is oh, yeah. you're now you're having right. to go reach out to people and, and sell yourself as opposed yes. to this coming to you and you giving them a price. Yeah. And you're so right. It's like, you know, before it was all inbound, like Home Depot reached out to me and I went to work there. Then it was a bunch of referrals. So we got into mm. other big companies just because they were referring us out. Like, work with, you know, Barbara, she's got a great team that can really help. Then it got to like, that carried us through the first two years. So we got to year three and I had used up my network of <laughs> everybody I knew. Yes. Like, Our projects are ending. We're doing a great job. We're still finishing projects. And here's year three. And I'm like, oh man, I don't have a network to pull. There's no more of these inbounds coming in. I got to go out and talk to people I don't know and find, re get into retailers that I don't know. What? Yes. Me? Yeah. <laughs> and right. so it became outbound sales, which is like you said, is so different than an inbound so, yeah. yeah. How did you like craft your message? Cause I'm, you know, again, right. You figured out how to recruit students. You knew how to yeah. speak. How did you figure out? I mean, obviously you've been working with clients, but like, how did you yeah. figure out who to go after and yes. like what they cared about to get yes. them to respond to you and engage with you? When you're first starting out, the first thing to, the best thing I think to do is to find that mm -hmm. niche that you mm -hmm. can, so we, we, the niche that we had is that 360 Commerce had been acquired by Oracle. Oracle started selling this software all around the world. And just like people are looking for Salesforce consultants, or they're looking for, you know, the, you know, like we hear now, like, do you have a Salesforce certification on Microsoft? Yeah. They were actually looking for 360 Commerce consultants. <laughs> 360 kind of like what is that I knew exactly what that was and I was building this whole team from scratch of 360 commerce consultants so you know even though it was definitely outbound sales I went in with experts with some of the original founding members of 360 commerce the people that wrote the software that mm -hmm. Oracle created and these retailers had just bought this software and couldn't find anybody in the industry that knew how to do it except you know the Oracle people which were really really expensive and right. so that's how we got in the doors. I came in with we're 360 Commerce experts. We're the people that wrote the software that Oracle created. I got a lot of these original people on my team. We know the software probably better than Oracle at the time. <laughs> and so work with us. Work with us. Yes. And that was the message. And so they were like, wow, you guys know this stuff? So we can go on a call and talk about stuff that they were like, wow, nobody else knows this. So I was able to get in the door with just that niche expertise of having mm -hmm. this commerce on our resumes. That acquisition happened in 2004, Margaret. Here it is, 2023. I'm still feeding off of that. Amazing. We're still getting business by being experts in 360 commerce and part of the original founding team. That's how great the software is still working 20 years after I wrote it, almost 23 years now after that software was written. Is still working to this day, That's and amazing. so still, still living off of that <laughs> that expertise twenty years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Okay, so your consulting company is still in existence, but uh, yeah. from what I understand, and when we talked before about ten years in, yeah, you decided to make a pretty big change in and your level of involvement and kind of where you were going to focus your energy. So yes. talk to me about this time of, okay, great. You have, you've built your incredible bench of consultants. You've made yeah. 
difficult shift from tapping your network to now outbound and you've got great clarity on who to go yeah. after. Yeah. And then now you set your sights on a new horizon. Tell me about this transition. Um, so, you know, this this goes back to 360 Commerce. So when, you know, I took a lot of notes while working in that startup and I knew that we started out doing, you know, consulting work. That's how we started. That's how we got into building retailers to the point where we were inside the retailers and we could start hearing problems, you know, mm-hmm. issues, pain points. But we were inside as consultants, trusted system integrators for these big retailers. So we knew the problems and we were experiencing firsthand with that customer. So with 360 Commerce, we started building this point of sale technology because we knew it was a problem with the customers we were working on. So I did the exact same thing with Lily R&B. When I started the company, I knew we were starting out in consulting to build a product. And I have a lot of investors that challenge me on that. I'm like, it was always going to be a product company. That was always the goal. We started with consulting to find the problem that we would solve so that we could build a product around it. And so after consulting and working with these retailers, we saw the problem around returns, around returns fraud. It was huge issues, especially back in like 2015, 2018, huge issues with people defrauding retailers through their return policies, you know? And so I was like, team, this is it. And so we had the opportunity to attend as a company, a hackathon that was kind of being hosted by ATDC and WorldPay. And this was before WorldPay went public. This was right before their IPO. <laughs> I wish I would have bought, I wasn't thinking about stock back in those days. I should have bought some of that WorldPay stock. <laughs> but this was right before the IPO. And so the CTO of WorldPay, I got introduced to her by one of these advisors that was helping me learn how to sell and grow this company. But he had introduced me to the CTO of WorldPay, Nancy Cox, CTO of WorldPay at the time. And Nancy, a woman in technology, come on. She already knew, same thing I'm experiencing. So she met me, she's like, oh man, a technical woman. We hit it off, like instantly. She came to our office. She said, Barbara, I want to challenge you guys with something. We have a hackathon coming up. I want you and your company to come, attend the hackathon. Let me see what you guys can really do. So I'm like, don't give us challenges, Nancy. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna knock it out. So she gave us that challenge. So I took one of my top coders, a student out of Georgia Tech who had come to work with me. I trained her up. She had gone through the training program the fastest of anybody I trained. It usually took like three months to get people through that training program. This lady out of Georgia Tech went through the program in four weeks. She was my top coder, lady coder. You remember that because she's well, going to come up. A lot. And Barbara, really quick, four weeks, give us perspective. What was normal? Normal was three months. <laughs> this young lady out of Georgia Tech finished the coding class in four weeks, record breaking at the time. Nobody had gotten through. And I tested her to make sure this wasn't a fluke. She knew her stuff in four weeks. She passed the test. And I was able to put her on a project on her fifth week in the company. She was already billable and, you know, making money for the company. And she she keeps coming up in the story. You hear so much more about her. She's, you know, I'm going to tell you what she's doing today. And well, you'll hear that later. But this was who I took her to the hackathon with me. We took one of our other top coders and me. So all three of us went to this hackathon, which if people don't know what a hackathon is, it's like a a a a, a really a competition where software programmers come together and within 24 to 48 hours, they go from an idea to an actually working code 
that they demo on the last day for prizes. You know, they give us pizza and candy and, and, and drinks and sometimes prize money, you know, on these hackathons. So that's what we did. We went to this hackathon, the World Pay Challenge, just to come out and see what we could do. And we stayed there for 48 hours and we presented our solution on the Sunday, which was the final day. And you, they go to see who wins the top prize. And we won not only the top prize, but we won first place and second place prizes at this hackathon. And it wasn't rigged. It wasn't like World Pay was just going to give it to us. They really didn't want to give it to us because they had invited us. So they're like, oh, no, we don't want them to win because people are going to think. But we won the top prize and the second prize, almost the third. But they're like, we can't let you guys sweep the home. <laughs> <laughs> but this young coder, my four-week girl, she stayed up the whole 48 hours, did not sleep, slept there at the competition, coded up pretty much mostly everything, and we won the top prize. And that's when Atlanta heard about freeing returns, which mm. is what we're doing today. That was the first version of it, just a prototype. And we wrote a version of software that would allow people to be able to return their merchandise on their phones versus having to go in the store. By the time they go in the store, it's just to drop things off. This was before we could do all this stuff now today, but we have created like the first application that was doing mobile-based returns. And that's how free returns started. And this was a hackathon, 48 hours. We had a working prototype from an idea Friday to work in code on Sunday. And that's the, the beginning of us going into this product, us building an actual product, switching from consulting to a product enterprise SaaS company. That's how it started with, with our coding lady, four-week lady, coding up everything in 48 hours. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Take me there. Cause I'm sitting here. I'm like, okay. It, it almost feels a little bit like you've stumbled into something like, yes, you were seeing these patterns and trends, but you were invited yeah. to this hackathon. This was not part of your it strategy. Was. This was not part of no, your plan. Was. You know, it of was. course you wanted to win because that's who you are. Yes. But now, now what do you do? Because you actually have, you have a baseline product now. So what do you decide to do next? Well, after the hackathon, we won probably, I think it was a total of $75,000 in wow. cash and prizes. And wow. the cash portion was like close to 12000 And so what I did was I split that money up with everybody that attended the hackathon. We all split the money. I didn't put it into the company. I wanted to reward those developers that came to the hackathon with me. And so everybody else that didn't come was like, oh man, we wish we were going to come. We didn't know you guys were going to win the whole competition, but we did. <laughs> and then we won. Uh, the other stuff was in-kind. So we were able to get a legal accounting, like all these in-kind prizes, marketing. And then we got all this press because the ATDC released this big press release of the winners and they had a big picture of us holding our big checkup. And so Atlanta found out about free returns. So everybody was like, you know, we see a lot of stuff come out of hackathons, but it never gets built. It's just like a good idea that goes away. They were like, Barbara, you guys really going to build free returns? I was like, oh, my gosh, is this what we're going to build? What you don't know, Margaret, is we had already been trying to think of a product that we could sell. We were trying out all kinds of different things. We had never thought about return. We were trying to build, do you remember those wearables, like the watches that when they first came out, they were kind of like wearables. They had all kinds of, it was like the Apple Watch today, but it's the early, early versions. We were thinking about building a wearable technology that would detect if your blood pressure had gone up too high. So it was going to be like a medical type device. None of us knew any medical stuff. So I'm like, I don't know how we thought about that. I had high blood pressure. That's probably where it came from. Sure. <laughs> so we were thinking about building something like that. So we had ideas and we were trying out different things. 
But once we won that hackathon, that's when we were like, it's free returns, guys. This is going to be the product. So wow. we all decided, I took everybody to lunch with our winnings, with my portion of the winnings. And we decided at that lunch that we're going to build this. And we're going to turn this from not just a hackathon idea to an actual product. And that is what we would sell. And that's how free returns kind of was born. And today, you know, we've rebranded the whole company as Freeing Returns. We're no longer really R&B. The whole company is now known as Freeing Returns. But that's how it started is we decided after that hackathon that we were going to build this. That's incredible. Yes. As, a team, as a team, I want to make sure I have the teams buy it. Everybody's like, let's do it. This is the product. Let's build it. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I oh, really- fun memories. I was just thinking about it. I was like, wow, I remember those. I remember those exact days and the conversations. It was just fun times, fun memories of how this all started. Yeah. It's so interesting how creating a product had been something that you had been thinking about. And how fascinating that it was like what you were thinking about was something like what feels like way out in left field. You know, and that sometimes like the, the answer is sitting right in front of us. And so I love that you had this amazing opportunity to tap into that, the Mm -hmm. ideas that were right there. You just had, right. Sometimes it's just the framing of them so that we can actually see what's right in front of us. And then that the team was, there was such strong alignment within your team to say, we want to do this with you. Cause that's, that's still a big risk. I mean, you're pivoting the strategy of the business. It's an unknown, you know, there are no guarantees in in technology startups and products development. And so that's pretty amazing. It was scary times for me because I knew consulting was going to, you know, was paying the bills for us. We were getting into doors and now we're we're going back to our clients and say, okay, not only are we system integrators integrating this Oracle, that's Oracle, right? Who doesn't trust Oracle? This yeah. Oracle product, guess what? We have our own product, brand returns. It's like, brand returns, what is that? <laughs> so it was a whole different sale because we're not selling Oracle anymore. Now we're selling an unknown that nobody had ever heard of that we just created through a hackathon. It was scary. And my team was right behind me. They were like, Barbara, let's do this. So we were, we were kind of like, burning the, the the midnight oil because during the day we were working for our consultants doing our consulting work but I had people at nights and weekends working on the product <laughs> so we could build right. it out so we became this two-headed monster and that was you know it was fun but really hard working on the part of me and my team right okay so t- give me some timelines here as far as so we have the hackathon you get yeah. buy-in from the team. How long are you wearing two hats, consulting and building the product so that it's ready to, to take it to the market? The hackathon was in 2018. And so we really did not morph into frame returns until 2020, the year of COVID. So mm-hmm. for those two years after the hackathon, we were burning the midnight oil. Whenever someone was off of a consulting project, they would work on frame returns until the next consulting project. But pretty much all of our money coming in was from consulting. I didn't have a full-time person working on the product because they were all consulting, as was I. And so in 2020, the year of COVID, a lot of our projects got canceled or suspended because stores started closing due to COVID. And so the software that we were creating was point-of-sale software. It's all the cash register software. The stores are closed. A lot of those projects got canceled or put on hold. So I had half of my team, more than half, really, 
I didn't have any work for them. So I was either going to have to let these people go, which were these are my little chickadees that I, <laughs> that I basically grew and created. Yeah. And I let my chickadees go. These were like my children, like, oh, no, I can't let them go. But we didn't have any projects. And so I was like, what are we going to do? And uh, this was, you know, PPP loans were out. And so they were like, Barbara, let's try to get these PPP loans. We're all working on this together. So I'm applying for loans. We ended up getting the PPP loan, which gave us money to keep everybody working. I didn't have to let anybody go. And now we have full time to work on the product. I'm like, guys, we're going to use this PPP money. We're now going to build free returns for real. Let's really build it. So that's what we did in 2020 is half the team that was not consulting started building out the really like the MVP of Frame Returns. And by the end of that year, we had gotten the attention of Steve Case, former founder of AOL, and they were doing a $2 million pitch competition for only like, I think it was only like Black founders at the time uh, that were this pitch competition was for. So we ended up getting selected as one of the top five companies to pitch at this $2 million pitch competition. And so they were only giving out three prizes. Now, we did not win any of the top three. We were probably like number four. But all five finalists ended up getting an investment from Morgan Stanley Bank. So mm-hmm. we ended up getting money from Morgan Stanley. And that money is when I first hired the young lady who was my four-week finishing the course lady who had left the company when we were having some struggles. She had left to go work for another startup company, you know, in Austin, Texas. So she moved from Georgia back to my hometown of Austin. Right. So when I got the, the investment from Morgan Stanley, this was 2021, her company had just gotten acquired. And I didn't even know this. This is like, you know, just, you know, it's no coincidence to me. It's like, oh God. But her company had just gotten acquired in Austin. It was probably about two weeks later, I reach out to her out of the blue and say, hey, you know, I said, come, I see everything you're doing with the company in Austin. I'm so proud of you. I just wanted to let you know that Freeing Returns is really growing. We just got an investment from Morgan Stanley Bank. If you know anybody that can be our CTO, I'm looking for a full-time CTO. She's like, Barbara, I can do it. I was like, what? I thought you were with this company. She's like, we just got acquired two weeks before. And I didn't know it. It was just, I reached out to her and I was really hoping she would do it, but I didn't want to ask her. Great, great deal strategy, by the way. (laughs) Do you know anyone? (laughs) Do you know anyone come? I'm like really wishing she'll say, I'll do it. She's like, I'll do it. I was like, yes. So that, the lady that got, you know, caught it up the first version of Free and Returns left, went off and worked for this startup company in Austin. They got acquired. She helped them get acquired. She now comes back to me in 2021 as our CTO. Mm-hmm. And she is still the CTO of Freeing Returns to this day. I told you she'll keep coming up in the story, but yeah. that's my right hand. She's building the technology. Freeing Returns today is so much more than just that mobile-based returns that we started out with. We're doing so much more than that now. But that coding rock star is what I call her. She's now our CTO. Okay, I have several, several questions because I am so blown away by what could have been devastating times, which were yeah. devastating times, scary. Yeah, a lot of people, yeah. And it serves as such an incredible example of how what can appear and present originally as our greatest setbacks yeah. end up birthing 
some of our greatest opportunities. And so I love that even though the pandemic in so many ways represented a lot of scary things for the retail industry, which were your customers and you're seeing projects getting pulled that because you were able to secure a loan, you were able to refocus on the product and building it and giving it all the time that it never could have gotten without kind of a forced slowing down in the world. Uh, you should see the goosebumps on me. Every time I tell the story, I mean, it really like it gives me goosebumps. It brings yes. me tears because you're what you said is exactly it's like the worst time we could have went out of business. Yes. That was the time that we had to birth this idea that we wanted to build anyway. And we just had so much business on the consulting side. We couldn't. We had the time to build it, Margaret. Yeah. It was like the worst time was the best time for us. It really launched us into a product company, which I always wanted to build. It all happened the year of COVID. So it's, it's, you know, it's just like amazing to me that this all happened at that time. And that that's what changed it for us. And we went from $250,000 from Morgan State. That was the first investment into freeing returns that we ever received all the way till today. We, We've raised over four and a half million dollars to which, build this product. Which, which Barbara, I mean, okay, so let's, let me just, I mean, I've talked about some of these stats on the <laughs> podcast before, but let me just call them out for anyone who has not listened. So for female founders to receive yeah. VC funding, it was yeah. 1.9% in 2022. Yeah. And I believe yeah. female founders who are women of color, it was, Less than 1%. I don't know it exactly. Yeah, point eight. Point eight. Just that in and of itself, statistically speaking, getting funding is an incredibly difficult feat. It's not the only way to go, but if you go that route, it's incredibly difficult. And then on top of that, funding has been more difficult to secure. The market has been really precarious and especially in yeah. technology, such an unbelievable testament for anyone listening to, to you and the company you're building, the quality of the solution that you're building and the confidence that you convey in you and your team of what you are doing and the value you are delivering to your customers. I mean, it just, it's really remarkable what you are and have built. I want to make sure people know that because it's really important to kind of give the full picture as we're listening to this incredible story. Yeah, I think at the time that, you know, I had raised probably like the, the first money we got was probably about 750K in 2021. And at that time it was probably, I think they did a big article of it, but it had been only a hundred black women who had raised a million dollars. And I was like, so close, just barely missed that top hundred. <laughs> and I had raised 750K. I was like, oh, this is going to be hard. Fast yes. forward to 2022, where I raised $3 million in that one year from people like Serena Williams, who is an investor in the company. <laughs> and fast forward to this year where I've now raised over four and a half million. I, I, I just can't even believe it. I'm falling past that one million mark where a lot of people, a lot of us are just struggling to get a million raised. I'm almost at 5 million raised for this company. And to see what frame returns can do today. Oh my God. It's, it's just like a dream come true for me to see the impact we can make, to see the things we can detect way more than returns. We're doing so much more than returns. We can identify any type of loss that is affecting that retailer's bottom line. It's going to cost them money or make them lose money. We can identify any type of loss for all the different verticals of retail, grocery, convenience store, mm-hmm. home improvement, you name it. We can detect it. 
that little application that we built <laughs> from a hackathon is now probably one of the most powerful total retail loss solutions in this industry of loss prevention and asset protection. And so I'm just so proud of the investors that believed in us, believed in me, gave us this money so that we can build this groundbreaking technology and just see it become way bigger than I even thought that this software could be. And so this, you know, it's, it's like I said, I, I get the goosebumps all over me. It brings tears to my eyes, but this has been just such an amazing journey for me to see what I, you know, what have we been able to do as a team? Yeah. Okay. I want to come back to the funding in a minute. I mentioned I had questions. I, there was something that stood out to me that I'm very intrigued by, which is prior to the pandemic, you yeah. mentioned it was two years of wearing two hats and building this, this product. How did you kind of hold the torch for what could be and keep the vision during this time? Because I'm sure there were probably plenty of times where that was tested or yeah. there were moments of like, are we really going to keep doing this? How did you hold the vision of where you were going, given how hard you and your team were building, you know, trying to build this, this product? Yeah. I mean, it's, and that's the testament to the team I have because all of us are, you know, they're my little chickadees, right? They're mini me's. And so we always knew that we we were a product company. That's what we wanted to be. We knew we were just not a consulting company. We're a product company. And we wanted to build something. We want to see our own product in the market and sold it. So we were just stubborn. There were times where even my, the CFO I was telling you about, it told me, you got to go sell. He was also saying, you guys need to leave this product alone. It's not working. It's taking too long to build. We're losing money. We could have so much money on the consulting side of this company. We could be at, you know, this many millions of dollars. If you would focus on the consulting, I told him, no, we're a product company. He's like, you're not selling this product. I didn't care. I was stubborn. And my team was like, boy, we're a product company. <laughs> we were just stubborn, even though it was times where we could have made so much more money consulting than putting some of these people working on the product than me instead of working on consulting out there, pitching to investors, you know, which takes a lot of time. But we always knew that we could build a product to solve a huge issue. And that's the issue of loss, which is almost a trillion dollar issue just for U.S. retail. We knew we could solve it. We knew that we could build a product. And so that's what kept us going. There were times where, you know, we didn't have enough revenue. And there were sometimes I didn't have enough money to pay my consultants and they didn't get a check you know, on Fridays. And I, and I thought, you know, people would be gone. And I come to the office, everybody's there working even harder because they're like, we got to work because we didn't get paid. So we got to work. <laughs> we got to do our consulting work and our product work. So we get our checks next week and none of them left. They worked even harder to make sure that we made the next payroll. So I'm like, these people are like, these are my guys. This is my tribe, you know, and we're going to make it because all of us are together. So yeah, it was hard. It was ebbs and flows. Many times I was like, man, maybe I should just focus on the consulting where we always knew that we had a product inside of us. Mm -hmm. You know, we wanted to see, you know, what we built today come true. And so that kept us going even through the rough spots. Wow. I'm yeah. so glad you expanded on that. And I think, again, just painting the picture of like, this is a two-year period. It, it's a long time. There were these ups yeah. and downs. There were, you know, times where you couldn't make payroll. And I think yeah. that owner mindset of everyone that worked with you, that they were really yeah. invested. And I think it started from the foundation of them being involved in the decision yeah. in the first yes. place, right? Exactly. Like it all stems down to that. And so- We all decided we're going to build it. Yes. I asked you guys. Yes. <laughs> we all said, yes, we're going to build it. 
So they, and they were committed and they well, stay and, with me no matter what. Yeah. And I think it, it's such a great reminder too of, you know, here was the CFO who had given you really great guidance previously when yeah. you did need to start selling. And now this person who was trying to look after your best interest, but because yeah. it was misaligned with what you knew deep down was best. I mean, I think there's something to be said for having that clarity of where you're going and trusting that clarity and having conviction in it, because it would have been very easy to shift because right. They had already steered you wisely once before. And so again, I just, I think that's, you explain it, but that is a a big decision. And it's a difficult one when you're sitting in the seat being told one thing, knowing that you want to go another way. So I just, I, I think that's really amazing. Thank you. Okay. So let me come back to funding because I, I would be remiss if we didn't do this. <laughs> this is incredible. So you've raised four and a half million, yeah. you raised 3 million in 2022, you know, and did something that again, just rare, rare company. How did you go about approaching funding and getting yourself to a place where you felt really good about how you were presenting free returns? So I, I was so naive in the beginning, Margaret. I saw people, all these headlines, oh, this guy raised this many millions. And, and I didn't know anything about, oh, okay, wait a minute, I'm a black woman trying to say that. That didn't cross my mind. Like, oh man, I'm going to kill it. I got all this experience, 20 nice. years in retail tech. Oh man, I'm going to raise 20 million million dollars so I went out like oh man everybody's gonna give me money just wait till I get this pitch right yeah nobody gives me any money <laughs> initially no money and I pitched and pitched and pitched I was like man this is hard like what am I doing why am I wasting all my time trying to pitch and I really got to the point where I was like you know what nobody's gonna give me money how did I think I could raise this money and I was really at the point where I'm done with pitching I'm gonna go sell that's what I know how to do let me sell and we'll get our money that way we keep bootstrapping Sorry to interrupt you, estimate if, or if you know exactly how many pitches did you give at this point where you're like, man, maybe this isn't, maybe I'm not doing this. Well, a lot of people told me, oh, I did 200 no's before I got my first yes. I was not trying to get the 200 no's. I think I had gotten 20 no's and I was already done. So I mean, that's, that's a lot of no's. That's a lot, especially with your background, your credentials, your expertise, right? Like. Okay. All right. Great. Yeah, okay. yeah. Thank and to you. me, it was like, every time they said no, it's like your baby's ugly. That's what yes. I heard. The no was like, your baby's ugly. I'm like, what? My baby is not ugly. This baby is beautiful. So don't be telling me. So I took it personally. I'm like, oh my God, these people are telling me no. How can they not see how beautiful this baby is? What is? <laughs> so I was like, I'm done. I'm not pitching anymore. I'm just going to try to sell. And one of my advisors here in Atlanta was like, Barbara, pitch one more time. I'm like, no, this was the He's like, it's a $2 million pitch competition. This is just for black founders. You need to pitch. I'm like, I'm done. I'm not asking for any more money. Nobody's going to give me money. So he's like, I'm telling you, pitch one more time. And listening to him changed everything. That's what got us to the competition, got us the first money for Morgan Stanley all the way up. But it was that one last pitch <laughs> that I was like, I'm not doing it. Did it. And look what happened. And so, you know, that's another thing. It's like sometimes, you know, I listen to advice and tell them so I don't, but it's that gut feeling inside of us as founders that we have to know what advice we take forward and what advice we may not listen to. But that one, I decided to, you know what, let me listen to him. You know, this could be my opportunity. And I listened and it changed everything for us. But yeah, I was, I was done with it. I was done with pitching. There's so many themes that you're hitting on that I think are so wow. important as far as facing rejection. And I think the, the, like what I'm hearing is like 
who you put your solution in front of or who you put yourself in front of, if you're the product, like you're interviewing for a job, right? You're the product. Mm-hmm. So much of it is about alignment and, and that chemistry piece where it has nothing to do with the quality of your, of you or your product, but it has to do with, is it a fit? And so, so often it can be really easy to get defeated and demoralized because when we do get rejected, it's hard not to get personally. And so I founders, especially, you know, women who are trying to raise money is that, you know, people say, Oh, pitch to everybody and get all your 200 no's and, and you'll get a yes. Those nose hurt, you know, yeah. and it's for just to protect my mental health. I can't keep going through these nose. It hurts me. You try to get the thick skin, but it hurts. And so what I tell, especially women, is I'm like, curate your list. Look for those funds that are committed to investing in someone like you. That's the first place I look at. Look at the funds that are committed to investing in a founder like me. I yes. go there first. Yes. Second thing is look for those funds that are committed to investing in companies like yours. So that's number two. This is how you curate your list. And number three is look for those funds that have maybe like some type of social impact and they want to impact socially. So if you're doing something in social impact, like me hiring underrepresented technologists and training them in this technology, that's a social impact. So that's how I created my list in those three areas. And I had so much better, you know, better responses pitching to these groups because they saw me, they love what I was doing. I was getting yeses, you know, mm. I found my pride and it spared my mental health from having to get all these no's, which were hurting me every time I got one, it was chopping me down like every time. I tell them, curate the list, stack it in your favor. Don't just go pitch to everybody, pitch to people in those areas. Yes. <laughs> Spare yes. your mental health. <laughs> yes, work, work smarter, right? It's like- work smart. Yes. You don't, you don't have to prove to everyone that you're tough. Exactly. Be, yes. be smart, right? Like I, and be I smart. love, I love that those three criteria too, of how you yes. think about where you go. And so brilliant yeah. as we're closing, tell me this, tell us about like, what does freeing returns look like today? Yes. Where are you going in, you know, in the coming year? Like, I'm so excited. We're, we've kind of built up, we've gotten flavors of what you're doing, but Tell us where it is today yes. and where you had it with this amazing uh, uh, work. This has been such an amazing year for us. Our goal this year was to, to really launch freeing returns into our ecosystem. And we sell to loss prevention, asset protection, e-commerce fraud, you know, any person in a retail organization, a retail brand that is responsible for stopping loss, stopping shrink, stopping theft, security, cybersecurity. That's who we sell to. And so what we've built now is free returns. The returns, it stands for returning back to the investment, return on their investment for retailers. So being able to help their profitability. Our application now is building this strategy called total retail loss, which is a strategy that a lot of retailers are taking is to look at loss across the board, not just losses due to theft and fraud, but losses due to operational inefficiencies losses due to shrink or over too much inventory or too, too not enough inventory. Anything that affects that profit and loss statement uh, as a loss, that's what we look at now. So it's across the board. We use AI technology. So that's something else that has changed. It's AI is the new technology now. We can look at data. We can learn from data. We can make it very specific to that brand. So we learn exactly 
the losses for your brand. We're able to feed that information back to you. So now we've created this, this enterprise size, cloud-based, AI-driven technology that can really curate losses, show retailers where those losses are occurring so that they can stop them and really put millions, trillions of dollars back to their bottom line, which allows them to grow and scale. And so that's how we've evolved into this day. And this year has been crazy. Just for the last two weeks, I've been at Nike headquarters, Google headquarters, I'm at Salesforce Tower today. I'm with the International Organization of Black Security Engineers, and we're all here talking about security and loss and fraud and theft. And you know, now retailers that we meet with and we talk to, first question we ask them is, have you heard of freeing returns? And at the beginning of the year, it was all like, no, we never heard of you guys. Now it's like, oh yeah, we've heard of, <laughs> we have heard of free and returns. So we're now well-known in the industry. We're getting in the door with big retailers. They've heard of us, they're excited. And so that's where we are now. It's just, a, just an exciting time to build this company after the year we've had so far. That's amazing. And what a, what a fun <laughs> gauge of success, right? Of like, how, yes. do they, they, there is brand recognition in the yes. Oh, yes, they've heard of love us. Love <laughs> it. Oh my gosh. Well, Barbara, I always close these with a, a single question, which is as you reflect on this incredible career that you have had until this point, whether it was amazing advice that somebody has given you that has served you really well or something mm -hmm. that you've learned along the way, what is one thing, no matter what, you want people listening to, to take with them from this call? Yes. Well, I, I love this question because, it, you know, for me, it's always the same thing as team. Trust your team. There's no way I could be here today without these wonderful people even employee number one, still here after those ebbs and flows, you know, not getting his check. He's still here, employee number one. But just that team that I've been able to build around me who is so dedicated, so loyal to what we are building. And, you know, I wouldn't even be here if it was still me in that one little, you know, one woman consulting firm. It's because of my team. So I tell everybody, trust your team. The people that you've curated and put around you, Trust them. A lot of us, you know, in that leadership position, sometimes it can be a lot of, you know, a little control freaks sometimes. And, you know, I got to do it or it's not going to work. No. If you've hired these people and you trust them, let them do their jobs. Do what you do best. Focus on what you can do, but trust your team. That's what I had to learn how to do. And now that I trust my team, you know, we're growing even faster because people are, we're not siloed anymore or waiting for me to make every decision. My team is there. And so that's what I tell everyone. Trust the team that you've put in place and you don't have to do everything by yourself. It's funny I, hearing you say that. That was echoed. We had a guest on, Heidi Watson, and she's mm -hmm. a, a chief creative officer for a retail brand called Ever Eve. And oh, wow. Yeah. And so she said something very similar, right? It's like you invest all this time and energy and understanding who these people are, making the decision exactly. to put them on, trusting them to like empowering them to do the job that you know that they are capable of doing. And because exactly. you do, you are willing to do that, you can achieve so much more together than you if you were trying them. to control everything. I just, yes. oh, Barbara, I thank you so much for, for being thank on, for you sharing your incredible story. And I know I, I, I am so excited to continue following along on this incredible journey and what you're building and how you are helping serve the retail industry 
And yes. so that they can continue delivering great customer experiences because they're not having to have so much angst around the, the exactly. loss. So exactly. I oh, thank you for being here. This has been such a treat. Such a treat. And Margaret, thank you so much. I know we've been trying to do this and getting rescheduled, but I was so excited to talk to you today. And it was exactly what I imagined. Your questions were wonderful. And thank you for allowing me to tell my story. I could have talked to Barbara for hours. I am so inspired by her and her work and grateful for her candor around her journey and really admire her role modeling how some of our darkest moments can be an incredible accelerant to where we are meant to be if we allow it. If you enjoyed this conversation, I encourage you to reach out to Barbara, let her know the impact that she had on you. You can learn more about her company and I've linked it in the show notes as well as her LinkedIn contact info. I wanna say a big thank you to Josh Reedford for his amazing editing on these podcasts each and every week. And last, never least, thank you to this incredible community for showing up, investing in you, and continuing to rise. Until next week, y'all, keep rising.